Acts chapter 2. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And let me, let me read, and uh, I'm sorry, let me pray, and then we'll dive into the reading. <clears throat> God, thank you again, Lord, for this time for us to come together and gather as a community. Uh, Lord, we, we uh, are so grateful for the many ways that you're moving through us, even though we're, we're, uh, we're new and we're small in numbers and, and we don't have much, many resources. Uh, we, we see your working and your power all around us, and, uh, and I, I praise you for that. Uh, we do ask that you open our eyes as we dive into Acts here and, and convict us, uh, move in us, take, take my words and, and do something in, in our own hearts, uh, even, in my, even in my own heart as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Is this thing on? Check one. Um, they, they devoted themselves, are you with me? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what I want right there. Amen? I mean, this is it. This is like, when we read this, this is, this is church right here. When, when I was growing up, I, I, I remember the first time I ever read, or at least the first time it clicked as I was reading this. I mean, this is like the most famous passage probably when it comes to defining church. You know, you, you hear this all the time, right? You hear this passage read. Um, but for some reason, growing up, I just don't remember it until like I was a teenager, older teenager, going to college. Um, but for me, growing up, I, I grew up in like a small, uh, conservative, traditional Baptist church. Um, big building, like 15 people, 20 people, 30 people. Um, and kind of doing the same thing Sunday after Sunday. Uh, I, I had like a very narrow definition of church, I think, as, as a child growing up. And I, I don't, like, don't get me wrong, it's, I, I'm like extremely grateful for my parents pulling my butt out of bed and stuffing me in the car and taking me to church. And it, I guess I'm grateful because they lived it out throughout the week. You know, it wasn't like just a legalistic, we go to church on Sunday, but it was like, we're going to gather, we're committed to this community, but it's not all about this gathering either. It's this whole life, seven day a week kind of thing. Like I had great parents, I really did. Um, and so anyway, what I'm saying is, is like, I'm not bashing my church experience growing up. Like that's where my roots were. But the reality is, is like so many of us who grew up in church, um, I think I was disillusioned uh, and, I, and I had, I had this definition in my mind of, of what church was based on what I saw, which we all do, and then we go through this process later in life where we redefine that. doesn't mean that it was bad necessarily, but we're just redefining and our, our eyes are being open to some bigger things. But like my definition of church growing up was sitting in these pews, my mom playing the organ. I thought everybody had a mom playing the organ on Sunday. I just thought that's what you do. Your mom goes and plays the organ. And, uh, and your dad's a deacon. And, I mean, everybody here, right? Dad was a deacon, mom played the organ. And uh, that was my definition of that, of what your parents do. And, uh, and then I would have to sit through the sermon and I would try not to fall asleep because my dad would like pinch me or slap the back of my head. Or, and also we had a pastor that would come up to me and actually, and I was like 10 years old, and he would come up and ask me what the sermon was about. Like, you don't ask a 10-year-old that. You know what I mean? Like, are you serious? And so I would have to really pay attention. So I knew, I mean, I, and I still would be like, I don't, I don't remember. You know, unless I caught up with my brother beforehand, because he was like this really dorky, nerdy church kid, and he was taking notes. Um, I think he had like his own little church note journal. 
Um, gosh, he's a pastor as well. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I, I remember specifically one Sunday sitting in church, trying to stay awake, you know, doing the, doing the thing. And I remember looking out, the, the stained glass windows were propped open because we didn't have air conditioning in our building and it was really hot, summer day. And so the, uh, the uh, stained glass windows were propped open and I, open, and I just remember sitting there, um, looking out the window, looking at the blue sky, wishing I was out there and not in here, you know. And, and I remember, like, really, it, it's so clear in my mind, just I, I feel like it was yesterday. This thought that I had, it was almost like a realization that um, church is a necessary evil for, the, for all of us. Like, it's just something we have to do. And I thought, I remember thinking, like, I'm going to be 40 years old and I still have to do this. I still have to come here and sit on a pew and listen to my mom play the organ and try to stay awake during the sermon. And it was just like this, I wanted to kind of please, please Jesus in this weird way. And so I saw church as like this necessary evil. Like, it's just shoot, I'm a Christian. You know, because I'm a Christian, now I have to do this for the rest of my life, unless I don't want to be a Christian anymore. But I don't want that, because, you know, I don't want to go to hell and all that kind of stuff. So I've got to do church. Like, I've got to sit here for the, for the rest of my life. And it was like this, like, uh, overwhelming kind of thing that hit me, you know. Um, and then I, I do remember, and again, I, like, I don't say, do you guys understand what I'm saying? I'm not, like, bashing my experience. It really is, it's, it's uh, it, I don't know, it's the, the, the roots for where my own spiritual garden sprang up. And, um, but I do remember as, a, as an older like teenager, early in college, I remember reading this and it was as if I never read it before. And I'm sure I had heard it. You know, I'm sure it was preached on or whatever. Probably even read it myself. But I remember reading it and, and it was the first time that it just it just hit me and and when I read it it was like the doors of this new new world were just sprung open to me but in this weird way because it's like a world that's always been there 2,000 years ago it's not it's not new it's very old but I was thinking like that that's that's what I want it's not what I have it's not what I've seen but this is what I want and in so many ways I mean as I as it then caused me I guess to redefine church, what church is, and we all go through this, I think, no matter what, at what phase we come to Christ, there's like this, we learn a little bit here, but then we redefine it because we learn some new things, and so I went through this process of just redefining church, what, what it is, and, and uh, why we do it, um, and this passage, in so many ways, just like completely wrapped me up in this whole new world of possibility and opportunity and beauty when it comes to this thing called following Christ as a community, in a faith community. And in many ways is what led us, led us here to, to start this. And I'm not saying that, that we are this, but I'm saying that this is what we want to be. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me here? So we see it, it's, it's, what, church, it's what church should be. Right here. Um, now, with that said, I, I want to first give a warning. I've, I've heard it said before that this passage um, has split apart churches and just been completely, completely destructive in churches more than any other passage in the scriptures. And, uh, and, and I can completely see the reality of that. This, this, this passage, as it's beautiful and as it's, it, I mean, it really is like these doors of just opportunity that have just been swung open and we can see it and we can feel it and we want it, but it can be very destructive for us as a community. For, for these two reasons. One, we can read this with a false sense of idealism. Do you know what I mean by that? So we can, we can read it um, and, and, and have these idealistic notions in our head and feel like this should just be an easy, natural thing, organic thing that just happens. Um, but we're not reading it in full awareness of 1 Corinthians, of Jude, of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all, all of these letters from Paul, where he's addressing these massive issues that the early churches are facing, these big, I mean, in 1 Corinthians, 
there's, there's this, this guy who's having an affair with his mother-in-law, you know? They, they didn't have it easy. It wasn't like, oh, it's, it's nice, you know, four people around a table eating dinner, smiling for the rest of our life, you know? I mean, they had some serious issues that came up in the church. And so we have to, as we read this, we have to have full awareness of the greater scope of the New Testament, everything in the New Testament, to know that it's a very messy process. It's a very messy process. We have to be intentional about it. We can't just believe that it's just organically going to happen because we love Jesus. We've got to focus on it. We've got to, we've got to fo- and we're going to talk about that. Uh, so that's one reason is this uh, false sense of idealism, it can destroy us. And what happens is this. This is where it destroys us and, and it's destroyed other churches. It could destroy us, I should say, is when, when you start to believe that this is just an easy thing, like it is, it, 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 you know, gosh, we should just do this. It's not that big of a deal. Um, and then you realize that in this community, it's not easy to do this. What happens? Yeah, you, you move on. Because you feel like, man, like this should just come naturally. And it's not coming naturally here, so maybe it'll come naturally somewhere else. And it, and it can sort of create these seeds of like division and, and just, uh, to use the word again, disillusionment. Like I'm just not feeling... Feeling, feeling this. I'm not seeing Acts 2 here, and so there must be something wrong about these people. The second thing is this. We can pick one piece of this, such as uh, communal living, for example. We can pick one piece of this and say, this is the purpose of the church. This is it. And so, to use community as an example, because community is a big part of this, right? This passage. To use community as an example... We, I think we are all drawn in our, in our modern culture, we're all very drawn to this idea of community because we're very tired of individualism in some ways. We're still maybe individualistic, but we're tired of it. We hate it at the same time. And so we're at least drawn to the idea of community. And so it's easy to like read this, latch onto that one element of the early church and say community is the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of the church. And what we're doing when we say that is we're taking the focus off, or off of Christ and we're actually putting it on ourselves. We're saying that the, the con- interconnected relationships between you, 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 and me, that is the purpose of the church. And that's not. Community is not the purpose of the church. Teaching sermons are not the purpose of the church. Um, so the social transformation is not the purpose of the church. Worship is, prayer and worship isn't the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to bring glory to God, period. It's to make disciples. It, we see it in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then it wraps it up again in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the purpose of the church is to, is to glorify God through making disciples. But when, when, we, when, we, when we look at this and, and we think to ourselves, gosh, what warm fuzzies they must have felt sitting around the table, eating together on a daily basis. Like it must have just been so nice, like potlucks all the time. You know, everybody's coming over for another meal tonight. And, and that's all they did. Like that's not all they did. But you, you know how we do this? Like, you know how we can look at it and we're, we, we like, man, they must have had warm fuzzies. I want warm fuzzies when I gather with the church. I'm not feeling warm fuzzies. And so we're striving for that and we're actually missing the rest of what they, what they were about and what God was doing through them. So, um, what we see here and what we see in Acts 2 as a whole is, is that is that everybody, no matter their language, no matter their culture, no matter their background, was able to hear the gospel. Like beyond the ability to speak in different languages, like that's pretty cool. But, and beyond community, beyond uh, the teaching, beyond everything, beyond the social transformation, the real crux of what's happening in Acts 2, the beauty of Acts 2, is that now... Because of the, the advent of the church and, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, now everybody can hear this good news of Jesus Christ. And so this community then now that, that, has been, that has sprung up around Christ, 
This community now is, is a community that is on mission together to fulfill the Great Commission, to go into all the world and make disciples. And so that's, the, that's what's happening here. And what we see in Acts uh, 2, 42 through 47 then are these marks, if you would, these elements of church as church should be. We're seeing the marks of the early church. Um, so, let's look at it, shall we? Uh, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So 3,000 people in verse 41. 3,000 people are added to the church and these people now are devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And the word devoting is the Greek word karteros, which means to persist ab obstinately in, stubbornly adhering to the teaching of the apostles. And the apostles' role became the, the elders and the pastors. The, this is the, the, the very, at the very advent of the church, we see people coming together in Christ and they're stubbornly adhering to the teaching of the apostles, to the teaching of their leaders. They're, the apostles are opening up the scriptures and they're going to, I don't know, Isaiah, and they're reading, uh, if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed and your light will rise in the darkness, then they're expounding on that and, and, and teaching about Christ is the fulfillment of this, and, and people are coming together and they're stubbornly adhering to it. They're like, we're going to get behind this and we're going to submit ourselves to the teaching of these apostles. Verse uh, 42, the rest of verse 42. So, strong teaching. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous sons, signs were done through the, by, by the apostles. They're devoting themselves to prayer, to worship. We saw it at the very beginning a couple weeks ago when we were in Acts chapter 1. What did they do? Right, right when Christ left them, what, what were they doing? They were praying, right? And that has continued as the Holy Spirit has come and now they're together as a church. Prayer is still at the very core of who they are. And worship and, and they're, they're seeing signs done by the apostles, miracles, it's, it's absolutely clear that the Spirit is moving among them and all of that glory and all of that attention is being directed to God and they're worshiping together, they're praying together. Uh, verse 43, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They realize now that they are citizens, not of this world. And so what was mine is no longer mine. Like, if I'm not a citizen of here, what, does, what do my possessions have of me? They, they, they own nothing of me. And so it's just like this natural thing now for them to say, look, you need it, you can have it. If I, if I need something and you have it, then I can use it. And, and then if you break my thing, just replace it or something. Or if you don't have the money to replace it, I'll replace it maybe. Like, I don't know, but like, why are we going to be so focused on our things, on our stuff, on our, on our material goods now when we're not citizens of this world anymore? And so they embrace this radical sense of community. And they, and they walked, and this is, by the way, this is before the real persecution set in. And so they're not necessarily at this point doing it out of because they're losing their jobs and because they absolutely have to. They're doing it because of the love of Christ that's, that's moving through them and that's unifying them. And, and I believe it's just their mentality, and we're going to see this in a couple chapters, that if, if there was a need among them, it, it was their mentality to say, let's just meet that need. There should be no, no needs among us. And again, we're talking about 3,000 people here. We're talking about a, a massive amount of people who are coming together and who are just saying, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. I experienced this in a personal way over the last couple of weeks. My car's dead and uh, borrowed Brandon and Jessica's car to go somewhere and um, took it back. And Jessica was like, yeah, just, just use it until you 
get it figured out and get a car. And I was like, nah, I don't want to. I want to use your car. Like, I feel bad. And she was like, it's not mine. <laughs> you know, like, what's what's mine is yours. You know, we're a community here, and so I'm not going to give the car back. Basically, uh, <laughs> just going to use it. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to give it back today. Um, that's my plan. But anyway, um, thank you for the car, by the way. Uh, there is this radical community that has sprung up around the people of Jesus. There's this radical sense of sharing, giving, making sure that everybody's need is met. They, 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 they absolutely love one another. And then in verse 46, they're coming together. And this is, this, is in, this is important, I think. It's interesting to me, at least. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple court. So all... Everybody in the church, how many, like 3,000 and some, are coming together and meeting together in the temple courts. Probably that's, that's when they're listening to the apostles' teaching. They're probably doing some form of worship. Uh, most likely, they're, I'm sure they kept, retain a lot of their Jewishness to their worship. And then it says, and they met together in homes. And I don't think all 3,000 people went to every home, you know? And so there, there, there's this like big gathering worship celebration sense and then there's like this smaller let's let's get together in homes as well and let's divide into into smaller groups and let's eat together and let's, and let's get to know one another on a deeper level and let's enjoy one another and and make sure that that at least those around our table are being taken care of and everybody is doing this so radical community uh, prayer and worship strong teaching all of these things are marking the church and then look at verse 47 praising god and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the favor of all the people means all the people. It, it, it means that those around them, outside of the church, were looking at the church and saying, they are a good thing for us. They're a good thing for us. And, and I believe that because it's, it, it's pretty clear throughout ancient literature within the first couple hundred years as the church developed, that the church was very well known for taking care of their own, but they not only take care of their own, they take care of everyone else's as well. That's one of the marks that the church was known for in the early years. And, and what they found here early on then was that, was, was that they had favor in the city. Like they were, People were saying, wow, this is actually a good thing for us. And granted, things are going to take a turn for the worse, and there's going to be some issues that we're going to talk about. But they were seeing, I believe, they were seeing social transformation happen. They were seeing city transformation. They, they were a good thing in the city. And they had favor with all people. And the result was that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's, that's what we want. That's what we're driving, that's what, that's what drives us, that's what, that's what we're striving for, is this kind of, of local faith community. Um, strong teaching, passionate, prayer, worship, radical community, and city transformation. Now, um, I, I heard a pastor in St. Louis uh, named Darren Patrick who uh, actually, my friend here, this is Matt's cousin, goes to Darren Patrick's, Patrick's church, just found out. So it's kind of cool. Um, but anyway, Darren works with a uh, church planning organization, and, and I heard him talking to a bunch of church planners, and he cautioned them as he was expounding on this, which is, he did a phenomenal job. Um, as he's going through this, he, he's cautioning them uh, Basically saying, here, here's the reality of, of what happens because of your personality, because of the way you're wired, because maybe your, your makeup or your history, the way your parents were, I don't know, whatever you're reacting from maybe. Because of your own personality, you're going to be drawn to one of these elements, one of these marks of the early church. Um, so, for instance, there, there will be some of you who... Even, even as I was just kind of like working through this passage, you might hear the strong teaching part and you're like, man, like, I, I like that. You know, I want to be in a church with strong teaching. Um, and then I get to the radical community and you're like, <laughs> like I want to just keep to myself. 
like let me keep my stuff, you keep your stuff, you know, I'm a capitalist, you're like I'm not gonna, what are you talking about? Um, and then others of you might like really get the radical community part and you really like that idea, um, but, but the idea of, of maybe prayer and worship is, is like, nah, it's, I don't, I don't need to just, I've got, we've got each other, you know, we don't need to go to God because we've got each other and we experience God when we're together and just hanging out, you know, that's, that's how I pray is just through hanging out and, and uh, having a beer with somebody, right? Like, I'm sure there's somebody that says, like, me having a beer with somebody is my form of prayer. <laughs> like, sounds cool, but I don't think so. Um, uh, and so we can, we can so easily just, like, lean towards one of these and, and kind of latch onto it. And what Patrick was uh, telling the church planners is, like, your churches could look like. You can completely lean to one and completely ignore the others. And we can think of churches that do that, right? Um, like the strong teaching kind of churches, they're, um, uh, they use descriptors like, script, uh, like scriptural integrity um, or uh, expositional preaching or biblical, like that's how they describe their church. When you ask about their church, we're a biblical church, you know, we, we teach expositionally from the scriptures. Um, they, uh, they guard the pulpit, which I never understood what that term means. I don't think like guarding it, like just back off, you know, John... Like, back off, this is mine. But I understand that, I mean, they don't, they, they have a concern for truth. And so they don't want just anybody to get up with a microphone and just start blabbing about anything. And all of a sudden, uh, there is great heresy running through the church, you know. And so they guard the pulpit and they take, they take preaching seriously and they preach for at least four hours. And um, they often ignore care for one another. Um, they, they often ignore intense times of prayer and spirit-filled worship. Like, like the singing time in the church is like the most stoic sort of, like, are you serious? Wow, you seem excited. Um, and then there's like the prayer and worship churches. There's those churches who, who uh, like spirit-filled worship is what they're about. And they have the best music you've ever heard of, you know, they, they, their bands rival any other band. They're phenomenal, well, kind of like ours. Like, we've got a pretty decent thing going on. <laughs> um, although the keyboard, something was up with the keyboard just that last song. Something's going on. Was the volume up? We need a new keyboard. If you want to buy the church a new keyboard, and a steel drum, right? We need a steel drum. So there, there are some uh, churches that take that very seriously, and they've got steel drums and keyboards that are like the most... But, but they're really, like, expressive in their worship. and um, Or it, it could even look like, uh, you know, you, you might be at five out of seven nights of the week, you are in a prayer meeting or a small group gathering, a Bible study, an accountability group, and you're always getting together and, and praying together and holding each other accountable and stuff like that. And you don't know your neighbors. You don't have time to get to know your neighbors and have them over for dinner because you're praying all the time. <laughs> with the fellow believers, and which is good. Like, we need to pray together. Um, but at the same time, there, there are churches and movements and stuff that completely, like, miss other things. Um, and so they're, so they're very focused on prayer and worship, um, yet they often may ignore evangelism, outreach, get, actually getting into the community, doing something in the community, social and cultural transformation. Uh, radical community groups, churches, like, they, they are, um, they're, they're small and they stay small and they look down on everybody else that's not small. You know, there's, like, it is, it is about us. I, I uh, as an example, I met a woman in Philadelphia a couple weeks ago, and, um, or a couple months ago now, and uh, so she's part of this, this uh, new house church, which I, I think house churches are some of the greatest things since um, sliced uh, bread, if you would. Just came up with that phrase. Um, and, uh, um, but it was just in, an interesting conversation because I, I, I could tell that there was a lot of reaction to some other things. And, uh, and what her heart desired was um, the six people that she currently has around the table for the rest of her life, <laughs> you know? And I understand, like, I've totally been there before. 
But what we can do, and this is that community one that kind of is, is tricky. And, and I think if there's any area that we as a community probably lean, it's this one right here. Like this is probably my reactionary thing. It's like I really love community. And that's, that's part of my personality. Like I, I love being around people. Um, and so the idea then of being in community with each other and, and sharing everything um, is a beautiful thing. And, and, and I, I know I probably naturally lean that way. But the, the, the reality is, is, uh, is we can become so inward focused. You know, we're, we're looking at each other. We're kind of holding hands, looking this way. And like, let's just not let anybody else in because we're, we're, we're going to lose what we got. You know, th that kind of mentality is like very dangerous. And it can creep up on you. And all of a sudden, you don't care about getting to know your neighbors. You don't care about sharing, like making disciples, which is the purpose that we're, that's driving us here. You don't care about that um, because you found what you want. Um, and then the last one, a favor in the city, uh, city transformation. Of course, there's city transformation churches that like they've got soup kitchens and uh, community reentry programs. Uh, like they do a lot of great things. Um, but often they forget really big things like spiritual transformation, like sin, atonement. And so they may lack in, in doctrinal teaching. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of creating straw men here. You guys understand that. I'm not like, I don't know if there's any church that's just one of these things. What I am saying is this, is we want to be all of those things. Does that make sense? Like, we, we don't want to fall, we don't want to become the first pure definition of one of these kind of churches. Like, we want to embrace all of the above. We want to be a church where we take strong teaching very seriously. We take the scriptures very seriously. And we, like, really just want to dive into it and, and, and uh, uh, allow the Spirit to speak to us and, and transform us through it. We, we want to be a, a community where... We're coming together constantly for prayer and, and we're worshiping together. And we have powerful, dynamic, spirit-filled worship services uh, where we, ha we embrace this sense of radical community and we say, I'm done giving to the lie of individualism because it's, it's just a lie and it's, there's, no, there's no fulfillment there and, and we're going to be part of a community and we are going to be one together under, under Christ and we're also going to go out into the world and we're going to do things in the community and see the city transformed and find favor with all people and, and hopefully one day the city would say, man, like, we can't do it without him. Like, th there's a pastor I'm friends with. He was, had a church in Pittsburgh. And uh, when he left his neighborhood in Pittsburgh, he was there for, I think, 12 years. Then he actually moved to Ellicott City here. When he left the church, they, the, the entire community surprised him with a going away party. And this isn't the church putting it on, but the community came together and said, like, he is a good thing. His church is a good thing for us. We don't want to see this church leave us. And so we're going to put on a celebration for him. And so it was this big surprise thing. And they, he, he, they, somebody drove him down to the uh, local football field. And he walked in, and there was 5,000 people filling the stands as he walked in. He had a church of maybe 800. 5,000 people filling the stands, just cheering him on as he walked in, just thanking him and the church for all that they did. Like that, that's this, you know, that's favor from the city by all people, like doing something in the community that's like good for everyone, not just for us. Are you guys tracking here? Um, so we, we need all of the above, but here, here is the problem, and this is where I want to caution us as a community, even after I've just said all of that. We could easily take this and say, Okay, so these four things mark uh, maybe a healthy church, we could, we could say. These four things mark a healthy church. And um, so we are going to make sure we do each of these four things. And so we're going to make sure that we have uh, good teaching on Sundays and that we have um, a, a decent amount of prayer ministries or prayer, prayer gatherings or whatever, prayer meetings. And that um, we have some sort of, you know, we're working on community and getting to know each other. And we're going to have a... a connect Baltimore sort of program or something that gets us out into the community and does something in the community. Like we could put programs almost behind each one of these four things and then say here's, here's our model, here's, here's the four programs we're going to do and because we do this we're going to see people come 
uh, to Christ daily. We're going to see people, the Lord adding to our numbers daily like they did because we're going to do these four things. And churches do this. Like it's, this, is, this, is the, this is the danger is that we could fall into this and start thinking like we can in our own power do these four things and we can put some faces to them and we can just kind of assimilate people in, in these four different directions and then we're good to go and we've got a good church and it's going to explode. And, and, and it may, you know, like it may, we could, one of the most dangerous things I think that, that could ever, or I should say one of the most just terribly, just drastic things that could ever happen to us is, is to see our church explode in Baltimore on our own power. To see just people pour into the rec center and then we open up another gathering somewhere else in another rec center or something and we're just like doing all this crazy stuff and we're, and we've got like really solid teaching and we've got a good sense of community and there's prayer meetings and there's, there's stuff happening, happening in the community and city transformation and, and Christ is nowhere in the mix of it. The Spirit's power is nowhere in the mix of it because it's, we're doing it, we're driving it. Like that is one of the most drastic things, that is the most drastic thing I can think uh, beyond falling apart. And then we can actually point to things and say we're successful because of this. We're successful because we did teaching really well or because we did city transformation really well or we're successful because we have really great worship bands. You know, like, and we can point to it and say this is why people are added to our numbers. Like, that's a scary place to be, isn't it? I mean, I would love to be able to say one day, like, I don't know how. Like, we are so confused as to what we're doing. Like, we don't get it. But God did something in our midst. Like, that's where I want to be eventually. And, and uh, the, at the core of this, what we find is that Christ is not at the center. Um, and, and this can tear us apart. Um, three, three things that even, even as we do these, these, sort of, these four elements, as we work really hard to be a church that embraces these, these things and, and like just looking at the early church as a model. Um, in the midst of that, what can tear us apart? Three things. One, individualism. You, you come to, to, the, to, a, to a church with the mindset, um, what can I get out of it? You know, you're looking for, you're looking, uh, for something for, for you. Um, and so instead of thinking like this early church would have thought, like we are a community on mission. We're, we're like an army, if you would. And we're, we're coming together to, to, to push and to fight. Instead of thinking of like, like that, like community on mission, we're thinking like, what can I get out of the teaching? What can I get out of the community? What can I get out of the worship? What can I get out of the, being part of City Transformation? Individualism. The second thing is personal agendas, which we've touched on. So you choose, you choose one element. And you say, I like this. This is, this is what I'm drawn to. And, that's, and it's because of your upbringing, probably. It's because of the church you grew up in. It's because of your own personality and the way you're made up. Um, and, and so you jump onto one thing, and, and it may not even be one of these four things. It could be something else that we see in the New Testament. But you jump onto one element of what it means to follow Christ, and you say, this is what it's all about, and you look down on everyone else for not seeing eye to eye with you. Right? Personal agendas. And that creates disharmony. The third one, disharmony. When, when I first moved to Baltimore to start planting the seeds of this garden, um, there was probably, uh, there was five of us, or six of us, I guess, including Sean. Can we include Sean in that original number? Um, where is Sean today? Darn Dundalk. Fair. Um, talking about Sean, just like completely, I can't even say what I was going to say. And you'll see why, all right? <laughs> when, I was, when I was, I love Sean. When there were six of us, um, I, I had a rule. I was like, we're not allowed to talk about each other when, when they're not around. You know, like, we can't like destroy people when, when they're not around. Like, don't talk negatively about somebody when they're not around. Do you get it? Like that was, I was like constantly just telling you, like, and it's all of us. Like we so want to do that. It's so fun. 
to talk about somebody when they're not around because it creates camaraderie with another person. It's like you're on the same team together and so let's talk, talk about this person. And, and we think of the secular world, like think about the people you work with or your neighbors. What is 90% of the conversation? It's talking about someone else who's not there, right? I mean, you're standing around in the lunchroom and everybody's talking about somebody, whether it be the boss or whether it be a, a, a coworker who's not pulling their weight or you're, you're in the neighborhood and, and you're talking with neighbors and you're talking about this neighbor over here, right? Like that's what we do. That's, it's like a, almost a human thing. It's, it's the only way humans know how to socialize is to sit around and talk about each other. Is anybody disagreeing with me here? Like we're on the same page, right? What, how countercultural would it be if the church was the place where nobody spoke evil and tried to destroy someone behind their back without their presence right in front of them? How countercultural would that be? Like, what if an unbeliever were, were to come into a church and spend some time with them and interact with them, and then after, after a long period of time, weeks and months go by, they, they walk away and they're like, man, these people don't tear each other up. It's phenomenal. And I can tell that some of them don't really like each other. I can tell that some of them don't really see eye to eye. Some of them don't get along. They might not hang out all the time, but they love each other. And they never destroy one another behind their back. It's, it, it blows my mind, and Jesus must be Lord. There's no other way to explain it. Next week, uh, Brett's going to be speaking on unity. Um, he's going to take this, and he's going to dive into it a little bit deeper, a lot deeper, and explore unity. So make sure you come next week. Um, the, the problem at the core of this is that Jesus is not at the center I mean, if, if any of you are sensing, even as I say these things, you're sensing some of these bitter roots. And guys, I'm not, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Like, I'm not saying that I uh, have, have arrived at perfection. Like, we struggle with our own personal agendas. We struggle with individualism. We struggle with disharmony and wanting to speak negatively and tear people up. We struggle with these things. And as we sense these bitter roots, we've got to recognize that at the core, at the bottom of these roots, Christ is not there. He's not at the center of those roots. He's not at the center, the core of, of this aspect of your life. And, and often as, as we allow these sort of bitter roots to grow in our lives, they take over. And they lead us to, to a place where we won't focus on the teaching because we don't want to submit to to the um, authority and the uh, accountability that comes with the preaching of the scriptures because we enjoy our own truth that we've discovered. We, we, um, we won't find power in prayer or worship because uh, we're, we're too afraid of, of looking like this person or what we might look like to others or all we can do when there are people, when we're in the midst of uh, people praying or worshiping, all we can do is criticize, because somebody's praying in a way that you want to pray, or they're worshiping in a way that you want to worship. They're too rigid, or they're too expressive, and we just find like this really critical spirit, killing, killing us, and we can't even pray, and we can't be drawn into worship. We won't find a, a radical sense of community, of sharing, of looking out for one another, of caring for one another, because we've bought into the lie of, then of individualism and, and seeing what I can get for myself. Uh, we won't find favor in the world because, frankly, we'll look too much like the world. We'll, we'll look like everybody else. And there, there are some of us who, when we, when we really think about our lives, and we, we think, man, like, the people in the world like outside of church, people that I hang out with on a regular basis, go to work with, they don't really find favor with my lifestyle because I look just like them. I'm no different. 
I'm no more caring and loving. I've gotten, uh, there's no evident, evidence of, of, of God's supernatural life flowing through me. Now, look at, look at verse 47, and I, I wanna, I'm going to close with this, but when we start thinking of these four things as like programs or as like we can just kind of do this, and man, we're going to fight hard, we're going to try really hard to be a great church. Um, the danger uh, and, and what will happen is that we will begin to think that, uh, that we can build a church in, in our own power. Uh, verse 47 Praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those were being, who were being saved. And th- this, is the, this is the first time it's, it's re- the sc- Acts is referencing church as a, as a body, as a functional body. Um, and this word added here literally means that the Lord inclined them or caused them to be added to become part, to join up, to be saved. Meaning this, the church is the Lord's. It is not ours. It is Christ who builds it. It's Christ who sustains it. And if it's, if it's his will, it's Christ who kills it if it needs to be killed. If it's, if it's I mean, if, if, if there comes a point where we need to die in the name of Christ, let us die. If we're not going to, if the world is not going to be able to look at us and see the glory of God radiating from us as a community. It's Christ who builds it, it's Christ who sustains it, and it's Christ who kills it. And when we realize this, I mean, when we really believe this, then that changes everything. It completely changes everything. And we, and we begin to recognize where we are trying to be at the center of not, not just church, but just even our own lives. Because, I mean, I'm talking about church here, but we are the church. You guys do know that, right? I'm not talking about a Sunday morning thing at the rec center. I'm talking about us as a community. I'm talking about you and me. And we realize that Christ is not at the center of our own lives and that we're trying to run our own lives. But the gospel says that we are a screwed up, messed up people who have no hope but because of the love of Christ on the cross and his love his, his life coming to us through his resurrection then we a screwed up messed up people can be part of a the most phenomenal thing the world has ever seen and that, that is the church with Christ at the center, driving it, a community on mission, coming together under, under the scriptures as a community, praying and worshiping together, and seeing the city around us transformed. Is there anyone here who is resistant to teaching, to, to accountability that comes with teaching? Uh, and and, and it's, it's because you're, you're in love with, with your own your own truth, you're in love with your own ideas. And when anything comes along that sort of pushes against those ideas, pushes against your own philosophies, then you just, it, it, it pushes you away. And you need to recognize some bitter roots that just might be springing up in your life. Is there anyone here who can say that worship and prayer is not part of your life. Even when you're gathering, all you're doing is criticizing. You're, you're criticizing uh, this person because they, they say just too much in their prayers. Like that's one of the things I do. Like whenever I find myself criticizing, it's like it's the word just that gets me. I don't know why. I just, it just gets me. But like we get, we're, we're caught up in like our human like little weirdness like things that we do and we just criticize and we have no spirit of prayer we have no spirit of worship that's in our hearts and we're recognizing these these bitter roots is anyone resistant to the idea of radical community of saying 
I'm, I'm walking away from this notion of individualism, that this is mine because I've worked for it. And I'm going to embrace these people as, as my brothers and sisters. And if there is a need, I'm going to share that. I'm going to, I'm going to meet that need in any way that I, that I can. And I'm also going to trust that they're going to meet my, meet my needs um, when those needs arise. And so there's no fear. Is anyone uh, here who uh, knows that when, when you, you look around at your coworkers or your friends or whatever, people who, who are not part of the church, um, that you find no spiritual favor with them? Like they, don't, they, don't, they don't see anything in you that's different. And it's because even, even though you may have, you may voice a desire to see um, social change happen or to see something good happen or to, to see generosity happen or, or better things, in your, in your own heart, you're very resistant to that. Um, you don't really, really want to work to make the city of Baltimore a better place, a more honest place. And, and what we find then is that Christ at the bottom of these roots is not truly at the center. He's not at the core. And we need to repent. We need to walk away. Is, is there anyone here who, with me, would say, we're, we're not here yet. Like, this isn't, uh, we can't say that we've arrived at perfection, whatever that would mean, but we want to be a church that, that is embracing what the early church embraced, and, and we want to be marked in the same way as this, these early believers were marked, and we want, as a result, God to be glorified completely, not us, not the name of, of our church or any individual in here, but we want God to be glorified through us as people are becoming disciples, becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Is anybody with me? Let's pray. God, it is Christ who has built and sustains this church, the, the universal church, capital C, and this, this local church through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we recognize that we don't have it within us to be church together, uh, but the, the very ability to be church is a supernatural gift from you. So we ask that you raise us up to be dedicated to the scriptures, to be fervent and passionate in our prayer and in, in worship, uh, to embrace one another in a radical way as community, as, as uh, a, a unified body, and to seek transformation in the city. So that every day individuals will be added to your church, disciples will be made, and you will be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen.